and welcome to Western Reaches episode 32. Um, this episode we have Tom from Delray on to talk to us about Destiny 2. Hi, Tom. Hey, Megan. Hey, Seth. How's it going? Hey. Thanks so much for joining us. I like feel like I'm playing Destiny right now because you are the person that I play the most with, so... I feel Aww. like I like have my fire team here, so that's cool. <laughs> yes. That's yes. Um, so we will be reviewing it later in the episode. I also have a review out on Den of Geek, so if you want to hear me talk about how I don't know how Crucible works, you can read that as well. <laughs> um, but I did want to give sort of a disclaimer. Um, this morning I was reading the news and there, there was an attack in Las Vegas. Um, New York Times said there were at least 59 people dead. And I was just very queasy at the prospect of sort of flippantly reviewing a first-person shooter game after this. Not because of any explicit connection between video games and this violence, but just from a sort of personal sense of distaste. Um, a lot of people go to fandom in order to escape daily life, and instead, thinking about a shooter reminded me of it. So I wanted to acknowledge that if you don't want to hear about violence today, just come back to us later. We understand. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, as usual, we're going to start off with books. Um, Saf, what have you been up to? So, I've been making my way slowly through Halo Evolutions, which is a collection of short stories that came out like a million years ago, so everybody else has already read it, and I'm just really behind. Um, there are some really cool stories. I haven't finished it yet. My favorite one so far is the one written by, oh, what's it called? The Mona Lisa or something like that, which is yes. written by <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeff Vandermeer and... Oh, Tessa Coom? I don't know how to say her name. Um, but it's so good. It's like an amazing horror short story about <laughs> the Flood, basically. And there is an elite, a completely naked elite, who fights Flood with a cricket bat, and nobody can talk to him, and his name is Henry. They all just call him Henry, and it's amazing. It sounds stupid, but it's so good. So I read that. Um, I really like that one. There's also one about... It's Spartan, like, one of the first ones called Pariah, which is about Spartan called Soren 066, who ends up being, like, disabled by the Spartan augmentations when he's a teenager, and basically him living with that, um, which is really intense and good because it was it was about Spartans, and also because it was about the Spartans that don't work out, which is something that I... is interesting to read about. I love those stories so much. Um... The Mona Lisa was, like, just kind of blew my mind in terms of how it ended and, like, yeah. what you were allowed to do in franchise fiction, sort of. And then, of course, afterward, I read Jeff Vandermeer's original stuff and went back and went, oh, it's that Jeff Vandermeer <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> I got so excited um, when I saw his name on the list of authors. I was like, oh my god, really? Yeah, it's such, like, a dream pairing right mm -hmm. um so if you uh haven't read that i highly highly recommend it even just reading it for that one <laughs> just the mona lisa i also i'm currently in um human weakness which is the karen travis story about cortana fighting the grave mind and it is really bad i really i knew i would hate it before i started it because i have issues with karen travis and i enjoy her writing sometimes like 
I really like the Kilo 5 trilogy and I really like Republic Commando, but her opinions make me really mad. And the fact that she's just writing Cortana in the grave mind kind of just condenses that for me. Um, so like the entire time Cortana's like, I'm not like the other girls. I'm a cool AI kind of thing. Um, really just, it grinds my gears, I guess. I don't, it really fries my tomato <laughs> reading the <this> story. <laughs> so I kind of just stopped halfway through and I'll probably go back to it at some point because I still like the whole, like, Cortana thinking about John and being like, John will save me, it'll be fine, and stuff like that, which is cool, but, oh, God, it's a really bad characterization of Cortana. <laughs> oh, God, what else have I read? Um, oh, yeah, so I also, I stopped reading that to read Phasma, um, the new Star Wars Phasma novel, which is surprisingly yes. yeah better than i expected i didn't know if i would like it much because i don't really care about phasma that much and i don't know much about delilah s dawson's writing apart from perfect weapon i think she wrote uh but yep. i really liked it it was really cool and we have a co more conversation about that coming up on blaster cannon as well yes so if you want to hear me talk about it a lot and also megan um you should listen to that. And I also have been reading Provenance, which is Anne Leakey's new book, which I was yes. super excited about. I've I'm starting it <laughs> next. It's like tomorrow. Yeah. I'm starting it. I've almost finished it already, and I'm really sad because I'm like, I want it to keep going forever because it's so good. It's so Anne Leakey, but it doesn't feel like the ancillary book so much. Like it's a very different story and very different kinds of characters as lead characters, but it still just feels so her. And there's one chapter in particular that like kind of involves the Gek aliens that just like made me tear up just from the way it was written and the way the characters talked. It was so good. And so I've been trying to put off actually finishing it because I don't want it to end yet. Cause then it's going to be forever to wait for a new book from her. Oh, it sounds amazing. And I'm really looking forward to it. I love that it's set in the same universe as the others but tells a new story i think that's a really good way for her to kind of like stretch her legs a little bit um and bring what she brought to ancillary justice which is these like incredible science fiction concepts and like an incredible voice so i'll be definitely interested to hear like for us to talk about it more as i read it and about like the differences between it and the other books in the in that universe yeah i'm i'm super keen to talk about that properly on here because it's i'm really loving it i think it's one of my favorite books this year definitely um yeah i really cuz i didn't actually read much about it before it came out because I, I sent her a newsletter and got like the first three chapters and I was like you know what? I don't actually want to read these because I don't want to know anything about this book so I didn't know whether or not it was set in the same universe even before I started reading it I, I kind of assumed it did because the cover had the same aesthetic but I wasn't really sure so I started reading it and at some point they mentioned the Prisger and I was like oh okay yeah same universe um and then pretty early on it's pretty obvious like it's set right after well not right after but quite a little bit after the original three books um so like if you've read those three books then you keep getting kind of little glimpses into that stuff and be like oh that happened that was a thing but it's really not necessary for this book at all it's its own story and everything and the only reason that that kind of gets mentioned is because consequences from that kind of affect the universe um but yeah it's so good and i just love some of the main characters so much I'm really excited for it. <laughs> I hope you like it so much. 
The only reason that I haven't read it yet is because I've been reading the other event of the year, Horizon by Fran Wilde, which, like, I have made my personal crusade to get more people to read this series because I love it so much. Um, the first book is called Updraft. Um, Horizon is the third and the last in the series. It's a young adult series about a city made of bone where people fly on mechanical wings and the world building is amazing. It's a lot if you're interested in like alien biology and like ecology and the way humans interact with their environment. It's so good. And it's uh it's young adult series kind of like on the line between young adult and and adult, I would say. Um the writing itself is not like super dense. Like I would compare this to China Mayville, but not in terms of the writing style but more in terms of the world building and the like weirdness of it there were moments in the latest book where i just was like i want to see this on film but how would you film it because it's so weird and the scale is so huge and the characters are sort of allowed to be damaged and kind of like, the main character is is scarred and hoarse, and there's a lot of, like, people get covered in goo because they're fighting monsters, and the characters are just sort of allowed to be that way. They don't... There's no glamour here at all, and I really like that about it. Um, there's no, like, you have to... I mean, there's emotional recovery, but there's no sense of you have to, like leave your scars behind in order to be the hero. And um, Fran Wilde has written a lot about uh, disability and how that affects her writing. And while the things that I took from it were not necessarily exactly the same, I felt that that like, awareness of how the world affects bodies and how people with different levels of ability interact with their world in different ways all really came through really well. Um, the dialogue can be a little stiff at times. There were parts where I noticed that characters themselves are kind of like stiff people. So some of them talk in a very naturalistic way and some of them talk in a very curt, like, like formal way. But I kind of love that too, because you get a little bit of both. You get people that talk really formally and then you get these more, casual, less direct conversations as well, so the dialogue is really varied. Um, I love it a lot, and par partially is for personal reasons, like, a lot of my own anxieties kind of fit nicely into that world, <laughs> but I also think it's a really good story, and I think that more people should read the, that series. I remember you talking about, I think, the second book that came out when it came out. Or when you read it or Probably something. Probably, about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I do remember that. Like, once you start talking about it, I was like, oh, yes, I do remember hearing about this. I have been actually meaning to read these books because last time we talked about them, they sounded really cool. Um, so I will – I'll check it out. <laughs> I hope you do. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's hard to recommend people books that you love so much because, like, they're not necessarily going to mean the same thing to the other person because it's like a like a Rorschach blot, right? Like you look at it and you put your own ideas onto it. But at the same time I also think it's a really well written, well built series and I I feel like it's really underappreciated, but it's like like Anne Leckie blurbed the latest book. Like clearly 
people in the science fiction community know about it. I just, like, I want more fans to talk <laughs> to, to about it. <laughs> yeah, I know um, that feeling. I mean, yeah. if Anne Leakey blurbs it, then it sounds good to me. The, uh, so... I guess between now and the last episode, I went away. So while I was on uh, my trip, which involved like nine and ten hour flights, I finished um, the Faded Sun trilogy by C.J. Cherry, which the last book is called Kutath and is also like a really cool example of an alien species. Um, Don't have too much to say about this one, except that C.J. Cherry hasn't disappointed me yet. Her stuff is always really vivid. Um, this book had, like, really powerful relationships between the main characters. The world was really neat. It was a lot of this, like, these desert planets, and you sort of had to figure out what happened to them to make them desert planets. And I always like her uh, alien species. She writes, like, the aliens are humanoid. They're generally, they look more like elves than, like, aliens, but the way they think is really alien, and she shows that mindset so well. I guess the one complaint that I had about this was that the aliens were pretty strictly divided into, like, here are the good, noble aliens, and here are the bad, manipulative, lazy aliens. There weren't really any examples of, like, variation within those species, and I would have liked a little more of that. But otherwise... I, I thought that was really good. And then also, like, on the plane, I read uh, Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke, which probably the most interesting part about it was the foreword, <laughs> which was written, like, 20 years after the book came out. <laughs> um, I know that's, like, such shade for me to throw at Arthur C. Clarke, but he... So it's it's this parable, and basically the, the best way that I can explain it is that it, it plays on whether aliens ever came to Earth before, like, the present... Well, not the present day, I guess at, at the time it was the 1950s or so. Um, so it was sort of about what the effect of, like, aliens on the human psyche was. And it got a lot into spirituality in terms of, like, Ouija boards and that sort of, like, psychic... Uh, influence and the foreword was all about him being like I used to believe in psychic influence and then it was like tested and the scientific test that I thought was accurate was not and I don't believe that anymore but it's still an interesting science fiction parable (laughs) (laughs) so I was just sort of like alright you don't really like believe your own uh, theory anymore, but as like reading about how his thoughts had progressed was interesting. But it was definitely more a parable than a story. All the characters were very much there to sort of make statements about the philosophy he was discussing, and there wasn't much in terms of like characters to get attached to. Right. At least the forward was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, it, like an extremely reductive opinion of this like classic science fiction book, I realize, but that was my experience. Um, and then I read From a Certain Point of View, which is the Star Wars 40th anniversary collection. It comes out tomorrow, and my review will be out tomorrow, and in general, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, it, I think we might want to go to Tom to talk more about that. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, I've actually been rereading that too um, as the book has gotten closer to release. I <laughs> I did a, f- a thing that I'd been meaning to do ever since we announced the project and I just never got around to it um, until now, which was or last week, which was to watch A New Hope with the book open in front of me. And um, at certain points in the movie, I paused the movie and read one of the stories. Um, and then I would read through the story and then hit play and keep watching. And I paused it again at various places. And I didn't, um, I didn't do this for every single story in the book. So I did not pause the movie 40 times, but, um, uh, Megan, uh, as someone who's, who's read through the book, you, you know, that there are, there are some time gaps in a new hope. Like there are moments of time that we don't actually see in a new hope, but we know that they occurred. So for instance, we, we see Luke, um, leave Obi-Wan and the droids when they have found the the tracks and the Jawas and he goes to check on Owen and Baru and then we see him come back. We don't know what's going on in that time in between. There's a gap in the film, but we know that that moment has occurred. And so all of the stories that take place in those sort of gaps are the stories that I stopped the movie to read. So I was filling in the sort of missing scenes with those the various stories that fit that particular profile. Um, and it was a really oh, cool man. thing to do. And I mean, for that, the story that you know goes in that space um, in particular. Um, there were a couple of those stories that create this really amazing uh, additional buffer to uh, to A New Hope. Um, and they provide these interesting moments when you've paused the film to read the story and then take a moment to absorb the story before you jump back into the film. It just changes the entire pacing of the movie. It changes the tone and the emotion of like so many different scenes. Um, uh, it's really great. And then, of course, you have to read the last story in the book while you're watching the end credits, um, which will just make you want to go back to the beginning of the movie and hit play again and start it all over again. Oh, I didn't think yes. of that. What a great idea. Yes. I love that last story. I do too. Yeah, I, I mean, I have feelings about a lot of that, um, and I think we'll talk about them in the yeah. future. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been I've been going back through that. I'm excited that everyone gets to read it tomorrow. Um, I've been reading through the Cannabite stories because I have to finish that book up, or else no one's going to be able to read it. Um, and those <laughs> have been a lot of fun. Getting to dive into that particular area of the Star Wars galaxy, I think, is going to be great. It's such a, a place that's ripe for stories and storytelling because it has so many amazing characters in it, and you can always, you can envision a bunch of amazing characters coming from this particular place. Um, so that's been cool. And then the only other thing I haven't really been doing a whole lot of reading because it's been a particularly busy work period um, is. I am working on um, I started working on books for with Blizzard um, like World of Warcraft and things like that so I am working on a book with um, everyone's favorite uh, Inferno Squad writer Christy Golden um, so I got to roll right from the um, deep uh, t- terrible emotions of Inferno Squad <laughs> right into uh, more <laughs> deep and terrible emotions uh, with this other book that she and I are working on together um, and it's going to be fun um, yeah that was so cool (laughs) it's 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 awesome she i challenged her to bring you know more emotions than she had in her last couple books not that she had them but just that like i'm ready for it i can take it and i um i may have written a check that my emotional capacity cannot you know properly cash uh, because it's pretty heavy but um it's it's gonna be a lot of fun her story in certain point of view is really good oh, as well. Ugh, I'm so excited to read that book. The Bucket? Is hers called The Bucket? Yeah, it's The Bucket. 
So, in terms of games, um, <laughs> Saf and I are both in the same experience where we're trying to play local host and can't <laughs> yet because it's going to be too sad. Yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> it's going to break my heart. So, I, I'm, I've been literally waiting for like, okay, I'm going to set aside a night, I'm going to play it, and then I'm going to like have a chocolate bar or something. Oh, that's smart. But, haven't had the chance to do that yet. So the only thing I've played lately is Destiny 2, and we will talk about that later. So, uh, Saf, um, on to you for games. Destiny 2 is the game I'd played recently and forgot about. Um, <laughs> I recently played... I feel like I've played something else, too. I did talk about Tacoma on here, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, yes. Um, okay, yeah. So I recently played Dear Esther, which is es- Esther, which is a really old, it's not super old, but it's an older game, kind of one of the big classics of the walking simulator genre. Um, I mostly played it for research because I'm working on narrative games and Dear Esther is kind of known for its gaps in storytelling and people building their own stories based off of the information it gives you. So I wanted to play it for that. I ended up hating it a lot. It's, a, it's not a great game. Um, <laughs> I can see why it was like when it came out, people really appreciated it for what it did narratively. But in terms of like, because I've, I've played it so long after that time period when walking simulators have like evolved quite a lot and narrative games have evolved a lot since then as well, that it feels very contrived and like very obtuse in its storytelling. Um, and yeah, I basically got to the end of the game and I was like, I don't understand anything that just happened. And this was really boring. So no offense to anybody that loves Dearester out there. It just was not my cup of tea. It, it was really pretty at times. Um, but otherwise it, it said a lot without saying anything at all and not in a really good way. Um, and then I've also, I've played a lot of games over the last few weeks, but one of the games that stuck with me was Yonder, the Cloud Chronicles, which is an Australian game, I think, um, that came out recently, which is like a open world kind of game where you basically play as a character. You get to like make your own little character and then they're going somewhere and they get shipwrecked and they have to like try to find these lost spirits or something like that. I don't know. I played the intro in French because I thought that was a good idea. And so my understanding of what actually <laughs> happened. Do you, do you speak any French? I am learning French, but my nuanced understanding of it is not great. So I got the basic idea of what the game was trying to tell me, but I don't know it's super detailed because it was in French. And so I was yeah. like, um, I kind of know what that word means. <laughs> I changed it back after because I realized that wasn't smart. <laughs> but the whole know. intro was in French for me. Um, but it's a really cool game where basically you can like wander around this big pretty world and like catch cute well entice cute animals back to your farm so that they will live there with you and be your friends um with food and like explore and build stuff and plant trees and cut down trees and it's a very open world kind of game but it's a really cute little aesthetic and i really i've been enjoying it a lot it's not like at times it's really confusing on what you're actually supposed to do for like quests but it's just really cute. Like, it's really cute. And the music's really cute. And so I actually played that for... The name is really yeah, cute. Yeah, it, it's like a... It's kind of like if you took... Uh, what 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 was the thing I had? It's like if you, like, took, like, Skyrim and took out all the enemies and then just made it really cute. That's kind of the feeling I get from it. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. You basically just walk around and collect stuff and build stuff. And I haven't gotten super far... Skyrim education. <laughs> pretty mode. much, yeah. I haven't gotten super far in the story, so I'm not sure how good it is, like, story-wise. But, oh my god, there's these cute little, like, pigs that are just, like, 
plant pigs so they're covered in flowers and I want to catch one so bad but I don't have enough mushrooms for it yet so I've been basically playing it trying to get enough mushrooms so I can catch this pig because it's really cute <laughs> um, and then I also played I haven't finished yet but I did play The Last Guardian over the weekend um, which I've been wanting to play for ages because it's made by Team Ico I guess the people who made Ico and Child of the Colossus and I didn't like I wasn't really that worried about playing it when it like finally came out after 10 years or whatever because by that point I was like whatever it's out I don't have a console for it I don't care but I on the mystery shelf at the library there was like the big art book for it um that tells the story of like its development and shows a whole lot of concept art and everything and I don't know why that was on the mystery shelf at the library but I grabbed it because I was like cool concept art because it was meant <laughs> yeah for it was you. a sign and so I got that out and I started reading it and like three pages in they're like don't read this any further if you don't want spoilers for the game and I was like I don't care about spoilers for this game I'm never gonna play it so I turned the page read a spoiler wait no that sounds really cool I want to play this game and close the book um and so I was like <laughs> now I have to play the game so I can read this book. <laughs> so I finally borrowed a PS4 and managed to play a whole bunch of it. And it's so good. It manages to capture like the kind of intentional clumsiness of the previous games made by that team and has like the whole Trico, which is the, the beast you're like trying to befriend and look after through the game, has... If anyone's ever played Shadow of the Colossus, there's a horse, Agro, who just sometimes will not do what you need them to do. Like, Agro acts like a real horse who doesn't really care about you. And Trico's kind of like that too. He's like, <sighs> sometimes he'll do exactly what you want to do. Like, because you kind of build up a relationship with him. So it, as you go, he becomes cuter and everything. Not cuter, like his interactions with you become friendlier and nicer. And so like at times, like he'll nuzzle you, like this giant cat dog bird thing nuzzles you and you can pat his nose and it's really cute. Other times you'll be needing him to like go to the right place. So you can stand on him and climb onto something and he'll just like stare at you, like kind of making these little like weird sounds where you're like, can you please just go there and sit, please? I swear to God. But obviously he's a giant thing, so you can't actually like make him do it if he doesn't want to. So it's it's a really good balance between the game making like between you building a relationship and it being like a game. So you put in enough friendship coins and he'll do what you want and him actually feeling like his own creature that has its own personality. And it works so well, except I hit a point where I hit a bug. Um, you said something on Twitter about how you weren't sure whether the Trico was behaving weirdly or whether there was something wrong with yes. the game. And that, like... Uh, that's really intriguing if the character is so natural, but I also feel like that would just irritate me, like being unable to tell whether it's working right uh, or not. Yeah, I spent 20 minutes. There's one point where you're supposed to like bait him to pull a certain thing. I spent 20 minutes, like after I'd gotten through and getting to the right place where I needed him to come and like stand somewhere so I could climb up and go the right way. 20 minutes, like trying to lure him back out and wondering what I was like, why he wouldn't leave this bait thing that was there. So I kept like trying to pick it up, and eventually I pulled up this piece of wood that I pulled down from somewhere else and tried to like whack it with that, which didn't work because you're not supposed to do that. And then eventually I was like, maybe the game's just broken, or I think I like fell off of a high thing and killed myself. And then it restarted from the checkpoint, and he wasn't doing that anymore. And I was like, oh my god, it was broken. It was a bug, <laughs> but I didn't realize because it just seemed like something he would do. <laughs> So yeah, it's it like it sounds tedious as heck, but it's done so well that I'm really excited to play more of this game and finish it. But I just don't have the time yet, and I just ah, oh, especially the bit I'm at the moment has this 
like a real big sense of scale um because i'm supposed to like climb up to things and push things off of stuff and you're basically like high up in the cliffs so there's clouds and you can't see the ground below you but and and so you hit a point where like you're really really high up and you know you are and you've got like climb on these really thin wires and across like really thin boards and poles and stuff to like get to the right places and if you look down there's nothing there and in a lot of games that kind of just feels like yeah okay that's fine it's just a game but in this one i don't know why but it just feels like you are in a really precarious place and if you fall you will die and it is terrifying and i love it so much that sounds really yeah. good so if you ever have a ps4 play this game because it's really good so tom what have you been playing I've taken a, a detour. Um, I mean, obviously, all the Destiny two all the time, um, yes. and I am I'm actually sitting in my chair vibrating just thinking about the release of Shadow of War, uh, Middle Earth Shadow of War, like next week, um, and Assassin's Creed and all that stuff. But I actually have taken a detour back to my Switch um, and using it for things not named Zelda. Wow, um, there are other uh, games. I've been playing. I know. Uh, I've been playing um, SteamWorld Dig 2, which just came out, which um, is a sequel to SteamWorld Dig, um, and is this uh, really charming, wonderful platformer that takes place in kind of an Old West slash steampunk world, and you play this little, like, uh, kind of like robot uh, girl in the second game, and the first one, you're a robot guy, and you go down into these, like, caves and kind of solve these little puzzles and do these platforming uh, challenges and um, engage in some light combat and uh, to kind of collect resources and do other stuff while spelunking. And you go back up and you like, you know, upgrade your character so you can like jump a little farther or go deeper into the caves or whatever. And it's really fun and charming and the, the art style is really amazing. Um, so I've uh, been playing that, which is great if you like the first game. Um, the second one is just as good. Um, and, but then I've also been playing this little game called Golf Story, which um, is this great little like 8 16 bit game that's very reminiscent of the Game Boy and Game boy color versions of like mario golf but there's a very sort of quirky fun story to it and like a light bit of rpg to it and it's just set in this world with these little golf clubs and you visit one that's really run down and you're trying to become a golf pro and there are all these like weird fun challenges of like hitting balls like uh over the water that can be grabbed by fish or like moles running onto the golf course and grabbing your golf ball and running off with it and it's just like the most charming amazing game but it has those these like perfect little golf mechanics that make it also super addicting um so both of those are are really great um and i recommend them highly they they sort of seem perfectly built um for the switch they're like perfectly they're great as like portable games and they're really excellent if you only have like 20 30 minutes on like a commute or you're otherwise mobile and you just need something to like pass the time they are they're fabulous i, I really like them a lot i've been hearing a lot of good things about golf cool. story and i i don't have a switch but i really want to play it it looks yeah. really fun you just you watch the trailers and like you use the word charming before but it's just like it is just a, an amazingly charming game um and it's super it's like super quirky and the the writing is like kind of subtle so you can easily just like click past the dialogue stuff but if you take time to read it it's really funny it is really really funny in a way that a lot of games like that are 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 not often um so i I, it's definitely definitely something people should check out Um, and as far as i know it's the first game by sidebar studios i think the name of the company i don't think they've made a game before this dang nice cool all right, so then I think we're going to move on to our main topic. Um, 
So Tom and I have been Destiny fans for a long time. Um, the thing that I, I wrote in my review, which is sounds dramatic but is true, is that Destiny changed the way I play games. It is the reason I do multiplayer gaming now. Um, it, would, it took me from someone who didn't play with friends ever to someone who has a clan and, like, organizes clan activities. And so that's sort of my, like, background. Uh, the original Destiny, like, meant a lot to me. I spent a billion hours playing it, and therefore I was sort of naturally uh, in, in favor of Destiny 2, because it does a lot of things similarly. And then when I went to review it, I sort of had to look at that from an outside perspective, too, of like, would this, how would this appeal to someone who didn't like the first one? Or how would it appeal to someone who had specific critiques about the first one and I know I have at least at least one friend our, our friend Paul from Blaster Cannon is starting it and he wasn't into the first one and he's now enjoying Destiny 2 so there are definitely people that have found it to be what they wanted it to be um but, Saf, what's your, like, history, Destiny history? So, I was really excited about the first Destiny, but then I ended up not having a console for it. So, I ended up never getting it, and I only played it once, and I died within, like, five minutes, because I didn't understand what was happening. Um, <laughs> my friend just gave me the controller halfway through a fight, and I was like, oh my god. Uh, but I picked up Destiny 2 when I was down in Wellington, because the friend I was staying with had it, and they went out for, like, a night or something, and they were like, here, I'll just set up an account for you and you can just play Destiny and I was like sweet okay um and the first thing that I realized like I was playing it on a PS4 but I was instantly like which one is I don't know like use item and I pushed like what would be X on a Xbox controller which is like square I think on PlayStation and I was like oh it's X perfect which obviously it's not on what I was using but the the way Halo plays like worked really well on that anyway so I was like perfect I know exactly how to play this game already yeah. um and I really liked it like yeah. <laughs> it sucked me in really fast I think because at the start you play like super overpowered and you've got heaps of power and everything because you're supposed to be a character that already exists and is great at things um and so straight away you get a touch of like how cool it feels to be like top level and really good at things and then it takes it all away from you like straight away it's like nah you're not actually that person anymore um which i think worked really well for me because if it just thrown me in like from like low level and made me build it up i would have been like what is this this is so boring where are my cool guns but because it showed me what i could have i was like okay <laughs> i'll get those guns back soon i'm just gonna have to play through a little bit more and it's just really fun <laughs> like just the the fighting in it is just great like I didn't actually pay that much attention to the story because I knew I would have to replay that whole intro thing again when I eventually get my own console. Um, but So I kind of skipped through everything. But the gameplay was just so on point and I would just run into public events even though I was super underleveled because I wanted to fight things. Like, my friend... Um, I kept playing it basically after that point I was like can I play Destiny please and he'd be like okay you can play Destiny so I'd be sitting there and he'd be watching me play this game with like however many hours he had and I would see like a bunch of level 20s fighting something I'd be like I'm gonna go do that and he's like don't do that and I'd run in and die and he'd be like don't I told you not to do that <laughs> be like it's fine this is fun so yeah I didn't have much experience with Destiny 1 but I am loving Destiny 2 and I really like now I desperately need a console so I can play this game because I keep just like having urges to play it. It was so good. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that because like I 
love the story in Destiny, but saying that is, like, an extremely loaded thing to say, because the story in Destiny was so minimal and so, like, hidden. So now, Destiny 2 does a much better job of introducing you to the characters and of giving you a, a motivation. Your character's motivation is very clear, as well as making it clear that you are part of a larger world. You're not just part of this ivory tower of guardians. There are other people. There are other reasons for you to fight. And for me, like, as someone who already loved this world, now I'm like, okay, get like this. This is why I love it. Like, now it's finally actually showing what it does well, but it's showing that on its sleeve instead of, like, buried in all the lore. So I'm really glad to <laughs> One hear One thing that. I did, I the designs for the villains are just very, like, they feel very old-school Warhammer, and I just can't get over how stupid they look whenever they come on i'm like they just look weird sap yeah i know sap um are you besmirching the i mean villains? they look in no. my presence they, they, they seem like no. good villains but they just seem like obviously i'm going to disney with a very halo mind because i haven't played the first game so i'm like halo sticks and they came in and i was like whoa they look weird and not aesthetically what i was expecting um and i feel like if i play it more i'll get used to it but every time they came on screen i was just like why do you have those weird armor wings like he's got like red silk on the inside of his armor it looks so stupid <laughs> wait wait so which species yeah i think so yeah Gaul, like the main villain yeah he looks real stupid yeah. and i really want to kick his ass <laughs> okay um <laughs> but the game like i am not besmirching the villains i just is besmirching the way they look <laughs> no it's okay, you okay, can cool, besmirch cool. the cabal, that's fine. I, <laughs> I also, care. I think, um, uh, no. someone, like, mentioned something about, like, constructs or AI or something, and I was like, there's AI in this, where? Where are they? Can I Can I be their friend? Yes. Oh, you will love this. Yes, that was the character so I got told much. about. They're like, Seth, you're um, gonna love this character when you meet them, and I was like, oh my god. Yes. Okay, so we're getting yeah. a little ahead of ourselves, but... I have in the show notes where is Sabathun and why is she the best because I love the design of the hive so much because they're like if you put Soma in the middle of Destiny it's like suddenly you're in a horror movie instead of Halo and like there's they're creepy like the flood but in a slightly different way and I love them they are not the most original designs the raid boss is not the most original design in the world I... but I love them I discovered the hard um, way anyway. that you cannot stab <laughs> Hive. Like, you can't take on a group of them and stab them and kill them all like that when you're a young level because they just <laughs> flood over you and kill you, as I've discovered. I, I swear they've made the enemies a little tougher in Destiny 2 as well. Um, so, before we get too far into that, Tom, do you have anything you want to add about like your Destiny story or how your Destiny 2 experience has compared to your Destiny original experience yeah i mean what draw me what drew me to the first destiny was just oh it's bungie and they're gonna make a game that doesn't end well that sounds about right like i mean now i don't need to have all that wasted time between so all those halo releases um and so initially what drew me to the game was that um i was a little bit uh not wary but just sort of like a little disinterested in the original scope of destiny i was like yeah i'm sh no game's really that big or that broad and yeah i know you're talking about the solar system that's not like just years of being a, a gamer and like having to adapt myself to like um 
you know, uh, obnoxiously outsized gaming expectations, both from developers and then from like the uh, the sort of gaming industry had had led me to like hold back on that. But then I started playing the game and I was obviously so drawn in by what really are like just the perfect first person shooter mechanics that destiny has just like the absolute perfect feel the perfect sort of control set just everything about that is just exactly what you want but i and i yearned it for that that story that just wasn't there like there was all the empty places where there could be story where you know you and i very happily megan through hours of walking around and and playing the game like helped to fill in that story with just our random thoughts um and whatever scraps of info we could we could pull together um so coming into destiny 2 it just seemed like they had found that better balance um and they really really have i mean it's not it sounds like a joke to say this but it's not really that after the first two missions you have more story and more character development particularly among the antagonists than in all of the three years of destiny one games and expansions um (laughs) which yeah that's true and yeah i i completely agree it sounds hyperbolic the degree to which they've added story and the degree to which the original story was lacking but i i i'm a huge fan but i agree yeah and i've been i've been playing the game uh, with some people who didn't play the first destiny and and have had some conversations with them about you know oh what do you think of this and what do you think of that just sort of probing and seeing what they think and and their um their responses are always kind of amusing because every once in a while i'll be like oh yeah in the first game like they didn't tell you any of that or oh that's there's nothing like that in the first game and i increasingly think that they that uh all the stuff that i'm telling them that they're their like image of what destiny one is is some sort of like empty broken like vaporware game that really didn't quite work um but no one was too everyone was too afraid like wasn't a real working <laughs> game um because i'd be like oh yeah there there was no explanation of that in the first game or no they didn't tell you anything about that or no you couldn't do any of that um uh, because it seems as compared to how much there is to do in, in Destiny 2, even at its vanilla, you know, sort of original state, that the first game just had so much more that it could have offered and didn't. And the second game thus far has has made up for pretty much all of that. Um, with one kind of weird the exception that we'll get to. Events is... Yes, yes. The change to public events might be the best example. The of change that. to the what? idea of public events. Oh, right. The, you know. Where you were like, oh, those six, those six people over there are doing this cool thing. I'm gonna go do it. Um, in the first game, they were, they were far more random, and they almost just like they had the nebulous description of like they would occur when a large number of guardians got into the same area because I guess the developers wanted it to feel like the game world was reacting to you as a group of players, like all showing up in one spot. But it was just like super nebulous and it resorted to people like farming like third party apps to like figure out timers to get them to happen. Oh and it was yep. this weird thing about having to go outside the game so that you could then do something in the game. And Destiny 2 very rightly has taken a lot of those situations because there were multiple situations like that in Destiny 1. And instead of forcing you to go outside the game, you can now kind of plan to do all of that without actually leaving destiny yeah too. and the again uh, it almost sounds like a joke like it's astonishingly convenient because you're so used to having yeah. to to look at a 
another app in order to find your public. And I was thinking about this, Megan, and I'm wondering if you agree with me, is that I think that that the public events is a really good example of this. But I think there are other ones, too, where I think for Destiny 2, they sort of realized like, oh, well, at the end of the day, we are making a video game. And so we sort of don't need to have like a in story world reason why all of these things happen. So like in the first game, they were constantly telling you like, oh, your ghost can reanimate you using the power of the light to sort of like solve for this, like give a story reason to like why your character can like be regenerated if you die <laughs> even though that's just like that's how video games work oh, that's and interesting. in the first game it was like well public events will only happen when there's a large number of guardians in one area because it's the game world reacting to you and in the second this one like if i want to play a public event on earth there's literally like five spots where public events spawn pretty much every 10 minutes always in the exact same spot and if you were trying to come up with a story reason of like why do the fallen keep landing their glimmer things here if we keep blowing them up why do they have so many and why are they always in this one spot like it obviously all falls apart but i think it seems like bungie has decided like you know what there's gonna be some things that don't really make story sense but to make a good game we can't be so wedded to like creating a canon see uh one in not two uh out of like why the giant servitor always lands in this one spot on gotta love that ludo narrative dissonance (laughs) and on the other hand (laughs) i'm totally kidding i appreciate that they've gone like we don't need an explanation for everything because it does make a game more fun when you make it to be a game as opposed to like trying to make it realistic oh god i hate that phrase (laughs) why Um, did i say that (laughs) (laughs) on the other hand i think they took the energy that was used to explain things like the ghosts and put it into more story in the side quests so now you've got adventures which are these tiny little missions that have a little plot to them you've got patrols but they're they're also like Vendors will give you quests, and some of those are surprisingly affecting, and some of the strikes have their own little stories to them, and, like, that one strike that kind of plays out where you you get sort of attached to one of the characters and you know this isn't going to end well, and the whole time this is, like, emotional tug as well as the, like, tug toward we've got to defeat the boss to get the loot. And those things, I think, make it much stronger as well. I have been playing for, I guess, three, two weeks or so. I I didn't pick it up right when it came out, but I've been playing for a little while, and I do wonder how quickly I will run out of things to do. But as of now, it seems like there's a lot of story even after you've finished the campaign which is certainly not something that vanilla <laughs> destiny offers. yeah i mean if if all you care about is grinding to you know power level 300 you know which is at the moment the sort of cap that you can get slightly over it um you will sort of run out pretty quick because like you can get yourself into the 290s with relative ease particularly if you are going to play for long stretches um but if you're attached to the lore of the world and wanting to build out um sort of the story of both the individual areas and the characters in the whole world then there is still a ton to do i mean i i I got the game the moment it came out the day it came out and by the end of that weekend playing pretty solidly like every day and then having like that first saturday to just like commit my life to the game i was already at like 270 and so, you know, the number of things to do really um, had been whittled down for me. But as you said, Megan, like I'm so 
I'm so enamored with the world that they've now created and actually populated with actual stories in it that I don't mind the fact that from a gear and loot perspective, I'm sort of at the tail end of being able to like find the things that are going to give me the best loadouts or give me like that extra boost of power that I've been waiting for. I guess it, and it does depend on how much time you have to play. Um, they've almost immediately started this faction rally too, which I think is a cool way to kind of get people to play more and to kind of, you know, you root for your team and you have this little like, Faction loyalty, and there's no, it's something new to do. Even if the faction characters themselves aren't particularly interesting. Um, and so I, I did like stick my toes into Crucible um, the other day. We did okay, our team did okay. <laughs> um, but I'm still, I'm, it, it, multiplayer is just not my forte. But I did find, I, I felt that. Supers were a little less applicable in Crucible than they were in PvE, where it's really dominated by, like, the gunplay meta right now, which it, Crucible always has been. It's always like, okay, which gun is, is the most effective and most powerful this week? But maybe because I'm coming in, you know, at a relatively low level, I sort of really noticed it, that it started to feel almost more like a Call of Duty-style shooter, because it was all down to who had the fastest draw, not so much like who had the most uh, the abilities that could be used in a certain way. Um, Tom, do you have any more, uh, you know, any more experienced thoughts about Crucible? Um, I play a bunch of it. I have to say that the, the player versus player multiplayer modes of destiny among all of the player versus player games that i play i think it has just one of the modes that is the least satisfying to me because it seems like it is the um it is the game where people basically spec you know like rearrange their character stats to kind of all be the same thing everyone wants really high mobility um, and everyone wants guns with like two or three different features, which limits the sort of pool of effective weapons in Crucible, which means that everybody, aside from their class choice, is ostensibly just running the same character. And then it just comes down to, you know, a couple of like tactic choices and who's got slightly better twitches at, you know, uh, you know, twitch skills in terms of like hitting a headshot first or, you know, like lining up their, their shots better. Um, and, Part of that might have to do with, like, I I actually don't think for as much as the game is sort of built on the foundations of, you know, Halo and the multiplayer that Halo pioneered, like, I actually don't think that Destiny was sort of functionally built around the player versus player experience as much. And so I think that there's a bit of a clash between what the game is most capable at doing really well and the limitations you naturally have to put into place on a game to just create a sort of player versus player environment. Um, it's fun. I, I like it. I, I, it's, it's a nice change of pace. I like the fact that, you know, it is a way that you can, if you're like having trouble finding gear items to level up, uh, when you're particularly when you're a lower level, you can just jump into crucible because the, the level advantages are disabled. So technically a level two player playing against a level 15 or 20 player, their stats and stuff are all more or less normalized. Um, so it's a way that you can like get some extra 
better goodies to level up. Um, and I, I like it somewhat. I, it was interesting in Destiny 1, it was like 6v6 was the base modes. And in Destiny 2, they've changed everything to, I think, 4v4, um, which definitely has made yeah. Destiny 2 multiplayer Crucible a little less hectic. In Destiny 1, like every five seconds, I felt like I was getting killed by someone with a shotgun from behind me because that's all anyone did. And in Destiny 2, between that and balancing out your ability to use certain weapons like shotguns in Crucible, it feels like, you know, like I actually feel more like I have a chance to move around and move with my team and maybe contribute a bit more consistently. Um, but I, it's never to me going to be the strength of the game. Um, I just I don't think I think the strength of the game is in the open world piece and then the set strikes and the big amazing uh raid pieces that they're able to put together and those are all the idea of you as a cooperative group group of guardians against the game systems rather than the individual guardians against each other where i think all those abilities and the idea that you're supposed to be this crazy superhuman superhero like they clash against each other um a little bit because you feel just a little less powerful just shoot, you know, fighting against another guardian. Hmm. And uh, I haven't done the raid, so I can't touch raid stuff at all. Have you done? Uh, I've done a little bit. I've done, I would say, about half of the the raid. Um, the uh, the interesting thing that Destiny does is that it doesn't really provide a public player way a public way for like people who don't have set groups that they know to play i know they've they've introduced the um guided game system which is in beta and i haven't tried yet though the the idea sounds very cool and has a lot of potential but because of that it makes it a little hard to get into the in-game content if you don't have a bunch of friends who are ready to do it with you or you can't coordinate your schedules um so i've done about half of it i think it's pretty interesting because in the last game, all of the raids were basically just big giant dungeons. You know, you jump into a dungeon and you got to do the four or five different parts of it and get to the end and face the big boss. And that's the it. And, you know, and there's puzzles in between and there's some jumping puzzles, which are still the bane <laughs> of Megan's existence. Uh, and, Don't uh, call me out like this. <laughs> sorry. Uh, it was really great to be with you in that raid when like you you finally completed that crazy hard jumping puzzle. Like, yes. I don't think we've ever had a more exciting moment. Um, I was. That was a very good moment in See? our lives, <laughs> yeah, I think. It was awesome. I can appreciate uh, that yes. now so that I've fallen off of a bunch of things that, in Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. You just fall <laughs> off all the time in Destiny. It's, it's just a thing. You're going to fall off stuff constantly, and that's why your ghost can revive you. Um, but what they did for this is they actually turned the Destiny 2 raid, the first one, kind of into another just open world environment like any of the planet locations. You basically drop into the raid and then you just kind of go and there are kind of many pathways and there are actually even like things you can skip that are not like you're not like cheating the game or, or taking advantage of a glitch like you can actually skip certain things um i think it's really interesting and i think it's a really smart decision because again it allows them to take advantage of the best stuff about destiny which is these massive open sandboxes that you get to play around in um, and i think it also keeps the raid fresh because you can it gives you a reason to go back every week rather than just trying to get that last piece of loot. There feels like there are more secrets to uncover. There's different 
things to try within the raid space um, when there wasn't really um, before in the other raids other than like, can we find that secret chest that everyone knows is there, but no one could find? Or can we figure out why these monitors all flash weird numbers at us? Um, you know, other than some small <laughs> I remember puzzles like those that. Days. Yeah. And that's really cool and fun, but <laughs> yeah. that's like a limited replay value. Um, but this first raid definitely seems to have a lot more of that. Cool. So I do want to talk about characters a little bit, but mostly I want to talk about how much I appreciate Ikora Ray getting some more screen time because she is my vanguard as a warlock main, and I really liked what they did with her. They made her, um, she is upset for quite a lot of this game. She's failed, and she sort of is a very, um intelligent person but she kind of overthinks things and you like see her overthinking things and then getting back on track and learning something from her her adventure and i really liked that it's you know it's not the deepest character story in a game ever but it's something for a character that i really liked um so i really appreciated that and the other vanguard got that too we got to know them a little better um Zaf, did you get much chance to play like their campaign stuff i played a bit of the campaign stuff um i can't remember any of the characters names because i am the worst but i don't remember what they all look like uh i got up to no worries i was on titan i think i'd gotten to the place after titan <laughs> i don't remember what that was um so i <laughs> wasn't super far through uh, I think yeah, I just gotten off Titan basically. Um, so yeah, I wasn't super far through, but I liked not having played Destiny One and not really knowing much about the story. It was kind of cool to be like thrown in and get a glimpse of what the Guardians were because I've seen enough about Destiny One to know what the Guardians are and know they're like these great heroes. Um, and seeing the characters who are like established Guardians and also like the people you look up to, I guess. Um, be really affected by that really did affect me as well even though I didn't really know much about it because you kind of lose everything and your ghost is like I can't revive you and everybody else is like really upset and you're just like oh no this is actually really bad Um, I was playing a hunter because that seemed like a fun thing to do so I don't remember who's the person for that Kate yeah. 6 oh, Kate. Kate was really Nathan cool <laughs> He was a smartass, but he was really cool. <laughs> Good. I so there was other Sloan, who was the the vendor on Titan, and mostly I liked her because her name was Sloan. But she was also a good example of someone who's a a guardian, but slightly different. She's not like super. Uh, attached to the tower. She kind of has her own, like, military thing going on. And then we get to see characters like Hawthorne, who are not guardians at all. And, like, civilians actually had a part in the story, which I think was, like, thematically, that was supposed to be started part of Destiny all along. You were supposed to feel like you were protecting people, but you never saw those people. So now this game really drove home, like, here are those people and they're helping you and they're protecting themselves and they all have their own opinions about Guardians. And while like, I didn't particularly like hang my hat on Hawthorne, I really liked that that part of the story was present in a way Who, that it wasn't Who's the character the that's game. played by Lance Riddick? Yeah. 
Uh, I liked him a lot, partly because he was voiced by Lance Reddick, so I was like, oh yeah, your voice is great. Um, But he also talks a lot to you, like in the earlier parts, I think, on Titan. Like, he's one of the main guys who's kind of chatting to you over the radio. And so I, you hear quite a lot about his, like, thoughts and feelings on everything. And um, I really liked that in particular. Like, you're not exactly talking to him, but he, he's... You can hear how he's feeling about everything. And because your guardian is just like silent. Your guardian doesn't say anything. Um, it kind of felt like this. I don't know. I kind of felt like I was like mute and unable to help while he was struggling with what had happened. And it kind of made me like get more emotionally involved in the game. So I kind of want to play a, t- a Titan just to like see more of him because he was really cool. Yeah, well, you will mostly. Yeah, I just wanted to be my main guard so I could be like, hey, buddy. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. The subclass quests will be different. Which oh man, so what class do both of you play? Stormcallers, warlocks, because mm, it is by far right. the greatest, um, the greatest way to be a Sith Lord in any video game ever. And I'm including every <laughs> Star Wars video game ever made. Um, if you don't believe me, just play as a stormcaller for five minutes. Yes, um, this is not up for debate. This is actually the best way to be a Sith Lord. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, correct. Both Darksiders, then I it's see. It's awesome. Get to be a it's, get to be a warlock. <laughs> it's awesome. It's great. Yeah, warlocks do look really fun. Hunter, yeah, Hunter seemed really cool because partly I really wanted a cape, <laughs> and I was like, cool capes. Um, but also like the idea of just being able to stab people, and I was like, what's the best sniper class? And everyone was like, there's not really a best. I don't know. Just go Hunter Saf, and I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> so it was a combination of those three things. But I'm really enjoying it. It's really fun. I'm going to start my hunter at some point. My titan didn't transfer over for some strange oh, no. reason. So, yeah, oh, my no. my dark no. mall titan is gone. So, I may remake him at some point, but my hunter is waiting around, so I'll probably play hunter I was next. wondering if you if characters did carry across. So, that's cool to know because I was like it would make more sense if they did, but because obviously I was playing a new yeah. character, I had no clue if they did or not. They do. Obviously, I had a bit of a a glitch. I don't know why my Titan didn't carry over, because he was the one that I'd actually leveled. Like, I kept remaking Hunters, so she's, like, level, I don't know, six or something in the original Destiny, whereas my Hunter was actually at, like, the complete light level, and then I was working on the, uh, or rather, he was on the complete, like, level 20, and then I was working on light levels. But for some reason, the Titan didn't come over, so y- usually, <laughs> theoretically, all of and your players will carry over. Did all of yours, Tom? Uh, yeah, I only had um, uh, my. I actually only had my warlock at the time. I had gotten rid of my Titan because uh, I didn't really, um, you know, I'd stopped playing him at a certain point. I was like, ah, I'm not going to play him. I have since re- recreated yeah. a Titan, and I will probably create a hunter. Uh, just to play around and and to do those um the uh those uh subclass quests which are specific to each class because they really are spectacular and they give you a lot more of that that lore that uh that you might really be looking for in a, in a really neat way um but yeah i've played my titan a little bit um it's it's obviously nice to be able to play through some of the story again and uh uh, this game also gives you some different choices about like your rewards for each quest, so there's a little extra reason to go back and play them as a different character because you can just get some different stuff that you didn't last time. It's not entirely the same. 
But to to go back to the characters for a second, I I like the way they take the Vanguard, which are you know Ikora, um, Zavala, and Cade, the three sort of primary guardians, and that in breaking them up and having you go to experience and and have a couple of missions with each one of them, they sort of told the story of the three like main anxieties of a guardian who has lost their light. You have um, sort of Cade dealing with the um the 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 kind of the purpose of guardians which is to sort of protect people um and to uh sort of deal with big you know save people and save the galaxy from big problems like all he's doing is like well i'm just gonna figure out another way to get close to this guy to like kill him you have zavala who is struggling with like the actual power of a guardian and whether or not the power of a guardian makes the guardian or the you know, the guardian makes the guardian sort of thing. So if you no longer have those abilities, are you still a guardian? And the sort of essential questions. And then Akora is dealing with the idea of guardians are immortal. And what do you do if you're no longer immortal? Like, what is what is the value like of that one of what might be your one and only life? And like, what uh, what do you how much do you protect it versus risk it for? um for what might be something better and they're sort of breaking down three pieces of what it means to be a guardian and pulling it apart at a time when you technically aren't a or at least you you aren't a guardian by the sort of like broadest like game mechanic definitions of being a guardian um which i thought was really smart and cool and i'm hoping that in future story content they don't immediately wipe all of that away i hope that that kind of that those issues linger for those characters and we get to see more fallout from that. Um, and that it's not just like, well, we saved the day again and, you know, back to the status quo and <laughs> joking about chickens, um, which I know, I know <laughs> Megan, those are no laughing matter, but, um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it, yeah, the degree to which chicken mechanics have been incorporated okay, what? <laughs> is truly wonderful. You're just, there, chickens play a very pivotal role in a very key mission. Um, the and they first game or second game? At least the one chicken game. does. Okay, good. Okay, because I want to meet these chickens. <laughs> the second. And if you hang out on the farm, you can get them to kind of come near you, but they have like a box, right? A proximity box. So if you get too close to them, they kind of flap away. And it's like the wolves in Rise of Iron. You can't pet <laughs> them. You can just sit next to the wolves. So I was sort of figuring out like, how close can I get to the chickens before I scare them? <laughs> <laughs> Megan is going to be the subject of like a Kotaku article two years from now being like, the guardian who spent two years trying to pet one of the chickens in Destiny 2 has finally succeeded. And she's going to have to talk about how she had to like hack the game and like rewrite a piece of code and like play upside down only on alternate Thursdays or like some really crazy way that she was able to find it. Befriending one of the programmers. <laughs> I'm super looking. I'm really looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, me too. It's going to be good. <laughs> There's a... Uh, somebody was looking for, like, the no-gun glitch, because the machinima people use the no-gun glitch to not have a gun. I bet... I bet if you equipped your sword... There's a way to pet the chicken with the other <gasps> hand. <laughs> Ooh, that's smart. <laughs> All right, we'll revisit this. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a way to do something. Also, yes. speaking of characters, who is failsafe? 
Failsafe is... Oh, I almost don't want to tell you. Ah. <laughs> Give me like a little bit. Well, Failsafe okay. is an AI. I think we've, we've gathered yes, that. Yes, has been established. Yeah. Um, yes. Failsafe is a new character, so Failsafe is not a character from the first game. Yes. Um, Failsafe is a character you meet during your adventures throughout the solar system. Um, and yes, Failsafe is a, a delightful AI. <sighs> I'm so excited. I really, yes. like, talking about this game more, it's just reignited how much I really want to keep playing this game. I did not expect to get this sucked in this quickly, because I only played it for, like, I don't know, a few hours over the course of a week. But, oh my god, <laughs> this is really good. That's, I'm so glad you like it. And I feel like that's, like, that's the Destiny story. Like, I didn't expect to like this as much as I did. Um... Failsafe is wonderful. I'm still waiting. There are hints of things that are could be in future DLC that I'm waiting for that I think will bring back characters I really liked from the first game, so of course I'm waiting for that. But as this game, as a standalone, as something that is hopefully going to introduce new people to this game, um, I think the characters they added were really fun. Hawthorne is, is fun as well. Um, other Sloan is good. And Gaul, like, the motivation of the villain in this game is laid out better than any other Destiny villain, which is not saying too much. It's not, like, the most in-depth story, but even the fact that he has motivation that's clearly, like, on the screen and he has personality is kind of a big deal for Destiny. So <laughs> just to see these very cinematic cutscenes with him and I think like the the character design is okay. It's it's a bit dull. But the voice acting's fine. Like they definitely kind of realize that players want want to engage with the villain. And he's not I, I certainly wouldn't say he's particularly frightening, but he's this sort of like the Cabal are very heavily shielded, and he's sort of a wall, essentially. He's, like, built a, a cage around the Traveler, right? He's a barrier you have to get through, and that is conveyed well, Yeah, he's, he's Yeah, he's not particularly yeah. scary. He's also not one of those villains where you're like, oh, yeah, like, I sort of, like, I'm rooting for him. He's, you know, he definitely fits into, like, he's the hero of his own story <laughs> um, idea, but he is, you absolutely understand his his drive and his purpose, even though it is very much like just flatly wrong. It's not like there's any ambiguity that like, ah, I could see Gaul's point. Like maybe he should in, you know, enslave the traveler and take all light and subjugate the entire, you know, universe. Like that's clearly not correct. Um, oh, that seems reasonable to me. <laughs> yeah. But he's very clear of purpose, which, you know, in the first, in the, the first game, pretty much every, uh, Every, you know, uh, enemy you came across, they were just like nebulously evil, mostly because they were shooting at you and thus you should shoot back at them. Yeah. Um, you know, and over time you sort of felt like, well, they're just like a group of clans and they're all fighting and like you showed up and then you're they're all going to fight you, too. Or like these people just like to fight and you're the person they're fighting <laughs> or like these people are, you know, a hive mind and like hive minds are bad right they look ugly you should kill like you know they sort of had not very well defined reasons why you should attack them unless you read 
12,000 words of lore. Yeah, or they were just like, <laughs> they did bad things thousands of years ago and are still yeah. bad. Like, they're just like, yeah, see that giant hole in the moon? They did that. Like, we're still mad about that. Like, you know, so. <laughs> I love that story, <laughs> but yeah. you're not wrong. Right. So it, it's much better defined this time around. And even the other, um, the other enemies you come across, because the Cabal here take a central role in a way that they didn't in the first game. And the other the other enemies you come across during the game are all kind of doing these ancillary things that are less immediate a threat than what Gaul and the Cabal are doing. But what's kind of interesting is that your guardian comes across them and they're still a threat because they're either drawn to you or they're drawn to their own machinations and you sort of run into them and are like, well, this is also a problem. They're going to like blow this planet up. I need to stop them from doing this while I'm also trying to, you know, remake the vanguard um i think they've sort of smartly found ways to create engaging moments where you at least understand why these all of these groups are your antagonists um even if they aren't the most like wildly imaginative um or complicated yeah and sometimes you'll get um villains fighting each other or there's one mission in particular that kind of calls out why are we fighting these people it doesn't again not a particularly subtle way but it does show like maybe there's a little more to this than just shooting them because they're shooting at us do you then go back to shooting them after that you pretty much always As yeah, we that's said, fair. <laughs> there is no way to just pet the chickens. So you it's your only mm-hmm. option is to go back to attacking no. everyone. I mean, you don't yeah. play Destiny to make friends, I guess, except for like the literal real human friends you make in it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the real Destiny is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> um, but you're yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. It's still that the game is very much the primary mechanic, the way you interact with things is to shoot them, and a lot of the socializing is done outside of the game itself, in terms of the people you, you know, the people you meet if you're in a clan, or now they've got this guided games thing, which I will probably not be using myself, but think is a good idea in theory, where you can uh, kind of go and meet other people that will take you through certain areas and things. I do think they've made the community a little um, easier to access, maybe? I guess maybe um, you'll find out if I play it on PS4 and can't play with you too. <laughs> yeah, and no. I, I don't know, Tom. Do you do you have feelings about that? Because I did kind of find myself like plopped into a clan, and so I haven't been in the wild west of like trying to find raid buddies. Do you have feelings about that? Um, I mean that that particular situation is the same as it was in destiny one where you kind of need to go to outside resources like websites like you know like lfg like looking for group and you could post up like hey i'm a warlock and i want to do the raid and i'm one person like is there a group and you could sort of create a group out of people's posts and you can sort of find each other um the gaming consoles themselves now actually kind of have some of these looking for group uh, functions built in. I know Xbox has a system where you could say, hey, I'm looking for a group of people to play basically any of their games with, and this is the mode I want to play in, or this is the mission I'm trying to complete for Destiny, and you know, you can find each other. And so there are easier ways to do it, but it's still outside the game. Um, inside the game, again, other than guided games, you know, if you meet up people through a strike that you get thrown into, or Crucible, or even the public events, you could find people to team up with, but there it's a little bit less direct engagement because you know um 
the microphones aren't necessarily default activated and you're not really speaking with each other immediately. You're sort of just playing and then you have to send invites. So it's still there's still a detached piece. But I think um, and I think the fact that Bungie is trying this guided games approach, I think, speaks to an idea that there is potentially a level of um sort of a level of community among destiny players that might be able to be um enhanced and that is like something that you can actually find strangers to play with and feel comfortable and feel you know safe and feel like you're you know not suddenly gonna jump into a a group full of people making like really disgusting jokes and or like verbally abusing you um whether or not that actually is how it all plays out who knows it's still the internet it's still random people playing a video game um but the fact that they're trying it and that they're putting a system Mm, in place to try to encourage that kind of community is is uh is is encouraging for lack of a better word um and i will probably try it um at some point um i think it's it's encouraging to see that they want to you know encourage an actual community because it means that if like people start abusing the community they've got, they'll step in and change it to make it work not like that. Um, like obviously that hasn't happened yet in like any big way, but it's nice to know that they are focused on community as a thing because it means that they will probably take charge if issues happen, which is nice because so many places don't do that. Well, yeah, and so many places, the only their only response to that kind of uh, problem in the community is to be reactionary to it. So they're like, well, we can ban people, you know, like, well, the people who do that kind of thing, we can either kick them off the game or we can suspend them or we can sort of gate them into an area of the game where they're only playing with other terrible people, which <laughs> is obviously great. And, and games should do that. But if all you can ever do is be reactionary then you're you are a little bit limited in how you can address some of the problems yeah. um so this is even if it doesn't end up working all that great this is a an attempt to be proactive um which is really nice um and is something that you just most games you just don't see most games don't have a a proactive approach to it they just are sort of reactive and they hope that in being being increasingly punitive about that that they can kind of wretch you know almost then become yeah. proactive which doesn't work like you see what's going on with like games like overwatch right now it just it just functionally yep. doesn't work um so i'm happy to see destiny trying that and i think also again like i said before because pvp to me does not seem to be the core part of really the core of what destiny is that it is a pve game that i think it lends itself to perhaps being a more communal experience because to do most of what you want to do at the higher end of the game and to get the most out of the game you need a group of people to do it and you are not like the group of people are not you know they're not an impediment to you they are actually the thing that helps propel you to whatever success you want so maybe that helps yeah that makes sense i could see that having a positive influence at least Yeah, and I still do sort of like to the weird mime artistry of the nonverbal communication in the public spaces because you've still got stuff like people that play soccer in Destiny just silently, you know, <laughs> or a sparrow racing around the farm or like 
people will run around the farm just giving buffs to other players, which, like, you can't really do much with them because you're just in the public space. But, like, people and people have dance parties and, like, people communicate. And I still... There's something very, like, performance art about that to me, and I like that. So, I think that's all that I have to say in terms of... Uh, character stuff that's not too, like, nitty-gritty. Do you guys want to add anything else? Someone buy me an Xbox yes. so I can play Get this game. Get an Xbox game. so you can join us. <laughs> yes. Join cool. us. I'll probably... Probably get a PS4 first, but even if I do, I'll get an Xbox and get Destiny on that as well. So I will eventually next year, hopefully early next year. We'll figure out the time zones. We'll make it work. Yeah, definitely. I'm super keen to play this with you two when I can. Cool. I will say the one weird thing that the one thing about it that I find a little bit odd for the for Destiny 2, particularly for new players who didn't play the first Destiny, is that there are a couple of small mechanics that become important later in the game when you're trying to really boost your character's power level up to the like the highest levels. And it involves essentially to not use the game terms for people who aren't familiar with it. It basically involves like taking gear and like using the gear to upgrade other gear and the game does never never explains that to you on any level there's no tutorial screen there's no like random intervention in a mission where they like make you do it just to show you that it exists like there's nothing in the game that tells you the system is in place really you kind of have to discover it and it was a core part of destiny one and it became part of destiny one i think at the second expansion so like anyone who played the first destiny this is just like natural for them because it just became part of the core experience and i found it really odd that destiny 2 doesn't ever explain that to you so if you're coming to it for the first time you didn't play the first destiny i would definitely say like just read a little internet tutorial about like some of the later mechanics about leveling up because it's really, it's like a weird gaping hole in the game. Um, yeah, I noticed that because I didn't realize you could upgrade your weapons until one of my friends was watching me play it and was like, hey, you, you know you can add stuff to that, right? And I was like, what? What? <laughs> what do you mean? I didn't even know how to get into it until he showed me how to do it. It was, yeah, it, it's never explained at all. And I would never have known that was there if it hadn't been pointed out to me. Yeah, it's um, it's a little bit odd. I mean, part of it is that early in the game, the early weapons and armor you get in the game, you can't use the system for. So, you know, from level one to like a level 10, it's not really important at all. But after that, it's like the core part of how you get better at the game, uh, like how you get more powerful other than just randomly getting items that make you better um, and like that make you obviously better. So it's like the one thing that I don't know if they need some sort of tutorial screen the first time you open your inventory or something like some easy thing for new players um, but if you are a new player and you're kind of getting started like you don't have to go deep dive on the internet into power leveling because that's not totally necessary unless that's your thing um, but i would suggest like read an article or two about it just because you'll you'll become aware of some pretty essential stuff cool well thank you so much for joining us i uh We'll talk to you soon, I'm sure, but I appreciate you uh, giving us your destiny expertise, as well as uh, talking about from a certain point of view, which I'm sure we're 
like we, the Star Wars community, are excited about. So <laughs> yeah. looking forward to that as well. Goes on sale in 90 minutes, so everyone stay up late. Uh, does it go on sale in 90 <laughs> minutes oh, wait, for gonna... the UK, though? Because <laughs> that's when I get it. Uh, I, uh, I actually think it might. Oh like, my I, God. I think all of it goes active at the same I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, also, people are going to listen to this later. So it's already going to be on sale by the time you hear this. Yeah. So, <laughs> Those lucky read it then. people. <laughs> Yes, I'm so excited to read that. It, it's going to be good. Cool. Um, so, Tom, where can people find you on the internet if they want to hear more? Uh, uh, you can find me at Darth Internus, I-N-T-E-R-N-O-U-S. And if you want to jump in and play Destiny with us, just send me a message on Twitter and I'll uh, give you my gamer tag and we'll, uh, we'll go save the galaxy one uh, public event at a time. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm also... Um trying to kind of find more people to play destiny with so also like send me a dm um i'm a little picky but if you say hey i'm from star wars twitter i'll probably be okay with that um so i can be found at blog full of words on twitter and i write for den of geek star wars insider and starwars.com uh Saf, how about you um, you can find me at Wanderlustin on Twitter, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-E-W-S-T-I-N. Uh, I also write for Toshi Station and do a bunch of other podcasts. Uh, you can also find me on my site, notsafwork.com. I'm just like, I just do other podcasts. You can find them eventually. Um, I mostly just talk on Twitter, though. So many podcasts. <laughs> Too many. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love them all, all right. but there are a lot. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, thanks, guys. And don't forget to check the Western Reaches. Mm-hmm.